You're listening to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down. Or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna, and this is Inverse. I'm really excited to introduce our guests for today. Uh, we've got a really special uh, conversation for you all. And so today we've got Tamise Spencer-Helms, uh, who has a passion for working with young adults and seeing them grow into themselves and thrive. In 2018, Tamise established the nonprofit Subculture Incorporated, which seeks to remove social and economic barriers for Black college students. An experienced scholar practitioner, Tamise holds a Master of Arts in Contextual Outreach and Leadership from Wheaton College, as well as a Master of Arts in Theology from Fuller Theological Seminary. In her over 15 years of campus work, Tamise has served as the Director of Student Experience and Engagement at Virginia Union University, Associate Area Director of HBCU Planting and Strategy, and has taught numerous undergraduate courses and workshops. Tamise is a hip hop head, a true crime documentary enthusiast, a pizza lover, and she's also a coffee addict. Uh, and Tamise lives in Richmond with her spouse, Allison, and daughter, Harlem. And for anyone that's spent any time in the inverse community, um, then you know Tamise well, especially if you've been hanging out in subversive seminary or the BIPOC spaces, um, she's so deeply beloved. And so uh, Tamise, welcome to Inverse Podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Glad to be here. Denise, um, I don't want to get you in any trouble. Yeah. And uh, the danger is when you're mates with someone that that can happen easily, but you're also a professional and you may or may not, can I be that vague, have a book coming out that may or may not come out next <laughs> may year. May or may not come out next yeah. year. So may we, we or may not be give... around Black History Month. <laughs> oh, th these are exclusives that we're getting. That um, So we don't, we don't want to put you in it, um, but we do want to invite you to share whatever won't get you in trouble because we're all really excited and I'm sure the larger inverse listener community will be excited as well. So you have permission to talk about um, uh, whatever you're doing at the moment or certain projects going up and we'll listen to clues to what's coming out in terms of that <laughs> stuff. Everybody use your clues here. Yeah, I'm, uh, I've been working on a book. So I wrote a piece for Keeping the Faith it was a book that came out around the time of the Trump presidency. And the last essay in the book was this um, essay I wrote called A Grief Unobserved. And in that essay, I kind of talk about how Trayvon Martin, his death was like a wake up call for me. I was in the Midwest at the time um, and just had no clue that whiteness was kind of um, infiltrating my theology. Um, and so I was really shocked by the, the fact that, like, first of all, none of the pastors talked about Trayvon. Nobody in my ministry, like, knew here, who he was. And so um, I wrote about that story. But then, as you know, like, time goes on and everything like that. And I have this kind of realization around the time of George Floyd that I'm like a completely different person than I was um, mm -hmm. when Trayvon passed away. And so the, the book is going to be 
about that process of recognizing like what is the toxicity that's that's happening in our faith that was happening for me in my faith why I didn't have any containers for all of these black bodies um and kind of the process of like figuring out what that was figuring out what happened um and so that's kind of that's what you'll have to wait and see so there's all kinds of cool little things uh in there but I hope my publicists are okay with just that little teaser um but I'm excited about it I've never published any kind of a work like this before so I'm excited and nervous and all the things <laughs> oh that's so good that's so good um yeah well we're all excited we're waiting for the moment that uh, we can actually just, not even just for the book, just to pre-order, right? So we just want to mm -hmm. be able to pre-order that book. So we're really excited about um, just the impact that it's going to have. And I know, as you were even talking about um, just the impact of Trayvon, it was making me think about that time period, because that was actually me during a time where I was finding my public voice. Mm -hmm. And Trayvon actually was the shift Mm -hmm. um some people don't know like maybe jared i don't know if jared knows this or not do you like i used to do a hip-hop like my my i had a blog called freestyle theology for a little <laughs> while right but um and i had kind of been moving away from that but then um when trayvon hit like there was just a game changer for me and i've been doing some local work but my public voice shifted completely mm -hmm. um and kind of found like what God wanted me to be doing and speaking up, especially to the church in that moment. And so um, I'm really excited to hear more of your story and to read yeah. your work. Um, and so, yeah, everyone just be waiting for uh, this book to release because um, it's going to be a game changer, I'm sure. I'm hoping so. I'm hoping it gives people uh, courage and permission to walk away from toxicity in their faith. Mm. Um, wow. That's that's, so that's like my goal for the book. Like I think, you know, coming out of the background I have, coming into the faith the way I did, I know how important it is for people to. Um, people are sincere in the way that they believe, and they they really you know care about their faith, especially in some of the contexts that I came from. And so I think what's been really cool is having those receipts, having that background. I'm trying to navigate the the natural fears that would come up and talk about how. Um, I worked through those things with faith intact. Um, mm. And I think that that's, that's really my hope. I mean, I don't, I don't want to add to any vitriol. I think mostly I'm wanting people to have courage and permission that it's going to be okay. Like God is on mm. the other side of this. Mm. Um, so yeah. hopefully that's what happens, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah, that's good. That's, Important. that's, that's wow. timely. I mean, a word for this time. That's right. Sounds really, mm. really timely. Um, so that's powerful. Well, you know, just kind of setting the space for us in the conversation. I know you know how this works. Uh, one of the things that we like to do is to ground our conversation with a text up front. And so have you chosen a passage that you can kind of read for us and kind of set the tone for our conversation together? Sure. I was thinking about uh, the prodigal son. So mm. I'm going to, what's well, actually about a prodigal father, but we'll read the way they captioned it. Um, so I just kind of want to read a, a few of those verses, if that's cool, and then we can like jump in. So um, this is, I don't even know what version this is. I'm just going to read it. <laughs> um, 
So Jesus is obviously he's telling these stories about lost coins, um, lost sheep. Uh, he's giving this illustration of the father, the way the father feels about um, the people. And then he goes into that there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divides his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And so when he comes to his senses, he says, my father's hired servants have food to spare and I'm here starving to death. And so he goes back and he says, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Um, and so we know, I'm not gonna read it all cause it's really long, but we know what happens next week. The, the father figure in the story sees him a long way off and kind of runs to him. Um, and then there's this interchange that happens between the father and the, the oldest son. Um, and I've been in this passage recently just because my, actually from a children's book that my daughter, <laughs> been reading my daughter at night called Sparkle yes. Boy, actually. <laughs> and it just kind of made me think of this passage. And so, uh, yeah, that's where I'm, that's where I'm living right now. Well, I appreciate Beautiful. the fact that um, you get inspiration from children's books, because I do too. That's right. <laughs> um, I'm, I wish, I think I'm more proud of my children's book collection than my, like, you know, theology books that I got to read for my profession. So, but, uh, but anyway, so I'm, I'm all with you. I really like it. It's a really, really good book. It's, uh, it's awesome. Yeah. I'm gonna have to check that one out. Tamisa, you, you've been talking about your dear little one that not too long ago, you've tucked into bed. But we'd love to enter into your story and how little you were when you first encountered the Bible. Yeah. Um, was this something that happened at a similar age to or younger or older? Would you yeah. invite us into your story some? Yeah, so I think I was about, when I got my first Bible, I think I was like 10 or 11. It was like a New Living Translation. And it was very quaint. And uh, my mom got it. We'd had this, in, um, we, we'd almost gotten in a car accident. And in, in, in the car accident, we were we were driving. She was listening to something. And I was like, mom, how do you even know God is real, right? And so this car pulls out in front of us and there's a bumper sticker that says God is real. So that was my first sort of encounter with like, something's going on so my mom like saw how much that affected me and like went and bought me this really cute new living translation bible um and I just I loved it like I just loved the stories I was so um just the goodness of Jesus and even as a, a 10 11 year old reading these stories about this person who you know I've, I've always liked hip-hop and it was kind of like he had swag to me like some of the ways that the parables were happening the ways that he would kind of confront people in a way that made you think the wordplay it was just so intriguing to me and I couldn't understand um why he dies and then that was a really hard mm. thing for me um so that's that's part of like kind of my um desire to know and learn about Jesus is all kind of related to like what 
what caused these people to do this to you? <laughs> like you, mm. you were only good this whole time. And so um, my first Bible experience was, was when I was 10 or 11 reading the gospels um, and, and realizing that Jesus in John eight talked about how uh, he, he was the light of the world, but it, it comes in the context of this woman being exposed to all of these people. And so like, just felt really interesting to me that Jesus is like, I don't expose this way though. <laughs> like, this is not how I expose. It was just very um, intriguing to me. And I've, I've been in love with the gospels since then. Um, wow. I just, I, I love the gospels. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's so good. It's, it's so fascinating because, so, I mean, you know, I, I work with college students and I'm trying to get them to fall in love with the Jesus story, right? Yeah. Uh, and I'm talking about at a Christian college, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that I'm trying to help them fall in love with the actual story of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just love hearing that even at a young age, you actually were drawn to and kind of just encaptured by the Jesus story, his life, his teachings, and all yeah. the complexities of it. So I think that's really yeah. powerful. Yeah. Um, I'm not even sure, you know, it's I'm trying to think back now. I don't know if at that age, if that's what was, I don't think I was drawn to the Jesus story quite at that age. Maybe not then. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Jared, you probably were probably right. You were just like. We're we're talking 12 years old. No, I think, I think I was still um, as a little, little kid for me. Yeah, for sure. Um, mm. primary school I worked pretty hard to compensate for my neurological diversity that mm. I wasn't very connected with what was alive for me so mm. I actually came to Christ when I was 13 Drew and that was the kind of shift for me where I was like yeah I really do love this stuff like yeah, th- this yeah. is me this is yeah. me it was like a return to to something for me but unfortunately I think at that at that age 11 12 I, I wasn't connected to what was alive and brought me to life Mm. yeah I was so at that age I was you could see the early stages of like the bible geek inside of me (laughs) but I don't know if it was like the Jesus story really captivating me you know what I mean um it was just like oh this is a book you know that our people engage and read and so let me dig in and be kind of clever right I mean I was I was like the (laughs) I mean I was a PK number one yeah, that sure. was like half foot in the church, half foot not. And so like when I was in the church, I knew how to perform, right? Behave. Uh-huh. Right, and behave and I could like, you know, but it wasn't like captivated in that same way. I mean, I would, I was a believer in the most general sense, but I think mm-hmm. that um, it was much later when the Jesus story really captivated mm-hmm. me. So, and, so to and we me, all know, we, we all know how dangerous it is to have Christian Bible geeks that aren't into the Jesus story. Oh, yeah. come on. That's right. That's right. That part. Right. Hey, okay. So to me, I'm really fascinated. Um, so as you're thinking about back about, you know, how you're interacting with, you know, the Bible and how you're encountering it, like, did you experience the Bible as something that was oppressive, healing? Uh, you know, was it liberating, you know, was it something else? Was it, what was your experience and how would you describe encountering it in that, in those terms? Yeah, I think the thing that was the most intriguing to me about the Bible or I'm starting to use scripture um, 
was how that it actually was alive. Like it was weird to me, even when I was young, how you'd read something here, like in this proverb, and then you would watch like the world and you'd go like, this makes sense. Like this is telling the truth about my life and about experience mm-hmm. and about just the way people are. Right. So I was just intrigued that like this thing is alive. It, it relates um, in a lot of ways, but then I think, um, so it's freeing for me because it, it wasn't bound by anything. I was just free to get in there and read. And um, but when I met white Jesus, <laughs> I went to mm-hmm. my first evangelical church. Um, wow. You know those stories about Jesus's death, and and there was this peculiar sorrow and thankfulness that I would feel around the story of Jesus's death. But when I go to um, this, I went to this white evangelical church, and they told me it was my fault. And so that was a like kind of a game changer in terms of how I thought about Jesus. And even I think the way that I related to, um, I mean, I would talk to Jesus. I, I hadn't said like a sinner's prayer or anything like that, but it did, it, there was a shift in my relationship to where that thing that had brought so much life, I was handling it differently and I was reading it differently. Um, and so I, I think it became a little bit more oppressive. Um, mm. And I think the, the crux of that was like, they, they told me that it was my fault this guy died. And mm. I'm like, I mean, I, I like steal earrings from Claire's, but I, how am I responsible for this? You know, like I didn't, I didn't understand that, but I was so, by that point, I was so in love with Jesus. Then, you know, sure, I'll take whatever. Like I, I want to be, friends with you. I want to have a relationship with you. And if, if this is the way I have to do that, then fine, I'll do that. Um, I just didn't know any better um, from that point. So I think like I've returned to this place of, I mean, scripture being just alive, more alive than ever for me. Um, but it did, it, my relationship with the Bible got complicated there for a minute. Yeah, yeah for sure. Tamise, if, if you were to describe the, the lenses that um, uh, you've developed or recovered for now reading the scriptures in ways that um, are liberative, uh, what would you want to share with people? Because it, it sounds like there were certain times where certain lenses were provided that were the opposite to something that was life-giving. Yeah, uh, that's a really good question. I think the way, cause like, you know, we've been talking about how a lot of my stuff is around like young adults and hip hop. And I find that um, my students are okay with the Bible as long as they back into it. Um, and that's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I felt like connecting them to wisdom, like wisdom is the, is the thread. Right. So um, and you, again, you find that in the music they're listening to and they've got I mean, right now is just a beautiful time, I think, in hip hop, because the older folks are talking to the younger folks and it's reminding me of Malachi and I'm very excited. But I think hmm. uh, like. When I talk to them about their lives, I kind of start with what's going on there and how they reason things out. And then I kind of draw on that line of wisdom and go hey, did you know that this is what this says? And I think what you're saying is actually what this means. What do you think? Um, and then they're like, oh no, I didn't know that was in there. Da, 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 da. And I think I have a real passion for that because I think that um, 
you know, the unfortunate ways that I was handling the Bible and the Bible was being used um, really can kind of rob you of that experience. And, um, and so I think if there was something I was, I would say about scripture, I think that that second Timothy passage about it is like, I've heard that it can be rendered that um, all God breathed scripture is useful. Mm -hmm. And that completely changes the nature of that text. And when it was weaponized (laughs) and it was, and they said, all scripture is God breathed. There's no wiggle room. Um, Mm. Actually the scripture can't breathe (laughs) when you do that. Um, But if you say that like all, all God breathed scripture is useful for correction and teaching. And it's all about being equipped for goodness in the world actually. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. So like, to me, it's kind of like, you know, the scripture, the inspired scripture is that which is lifting off of the page when we read it throughout generations. And to me, that is scripture. The Bible is as a container for scripture. It's not scripture itself to me, Um, because I think there's scripture in hip hop. I think there's scripture in trees. I mean, like, you know, I think the the word, the inspired word of God is everywhere. Um, And it just so happens that the Bible is this really unique and intriguing container for it. Um, But Hebrews talks about it's like God spoke in various times in various ways. Mm. And and now he speaks through the son, but it doesn't mean that that cancels everything else before or after. Right. It just needs to kind of line up for me, for me, like, you know, lining up with this wisdom of Jesus that is about people being whole in mm. the world being right like um to me anything that's kind of pointing towards that feels like an inspired word of god to me um Oof. so my relationship is extremely just different <laughs> with the bible clearly um but i i've never and, been more uh i've never loved scripture more than i do right now actually yeah that's good oh, yeah. i was just going to say and and yet it's um more in keeping with historically how the the broad breadth of the church has understood the scriptures. Uh, I mean, even down to um, you saying, I'm seeing the scriptures in trees, um, uh, like you can quote early church fathers saying that um, the the first Bible uh, we have is creation uh, Mm -hmm. before we're given the written word. I loved what you did with 2 Timothy um, 3, 16, which I think for, I know for me, Drew, it was one of my first memory verses, uh, yep, like, yep. Um, uh, it's a, but people leave off the, um, it, do you mind to me if I actually read it? Um, and Go give for the, it. Yeah, so um, people usually remember the first bit, all scripture is God breathed, um, which you have correctly said in the Greek, it can read all scripture, the God breathing type um, is useful. And here's the list that people usually forget teaching. Yep rebuking people usually mm-hmm. remember that correcting isn't that rebuking again so like if, if you're reading it through a guilt lens you're like yep yep okay mm-hmm. um but they miss the and training in justice yes like or, or training in righteousness yes. so scripture is god breathed so that we might train in what it is mm-hmm. to like be just and verse 17 makes that real clear so that everyone uh of god may be thoroughly equipped for every good work mm-hmm. apparently the narrative um wherever mm-hmm. we encounter it a- as um the spirit works it um throughout our life experience is to equip mm-hmm. us to be a certain kind of people that make justice that that's our calling exactly and i think that's the discernment tool right it's just so funny what can happen when you switch that verse 
Um, <laughs> because really now the litmus test is goodness and justice, right? So like, okay, there is rebuke, there is correction here um, that, that we use the word of God, the spirit of God inspired word, but the correction, the rebuke is like, to speak truth to power, to empires, to wickedness, right? Like it's not, it's not about like the ways that they've that people have twisted it and made it. Um, I can say anything I want to about your life because it makes me uncomfortable. And I have the scripture to back that up. <laughs> That's not exactly what's meant. It's saying that when whatever is testifying to justice, righteousness, and goodness, that is the word of God right? Like that's coming from the spirit of God. And that's what we use as a litmus test to correct and rebuke even our own selves, like to let it even teach and rebuke us around goodness and, and justice. Um, and it's just, again, it's like, it, it, it just lets the Bible breathe and, and stretch. And like, um, I don't, I don't know how much, like, I, I, I'm, I, I'm hoping that the, um, the beauty and the wisdom that is in scripture uh, doesn't continue to get clouded by the weaponized, like the Bible is basically a tool now. Um, and it was never meant to do, be that. Um, so I, I'm bothered by that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of bothered by that. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And, and I love, I mean, the way that you're really emphasizing, I mean, that it is alive, that it's life-giving, to let it breathe, right? And it reminds me, I, I don't know if I've said this before in inverse, but, you know, they talk about, you know, it's kind of like, you know, in middle school and you, I don't know if you do this in Australia, but we dissect the frog, right? And so you mm -hmm. cut open the frog and you dissect it and you're looking at all the different parts and, you know, and by the end, people feel like they know something about the frog, but the problem is the frog is dead. It's laying there, right? So you have all this knowledge of dissecting and breaking it down and you don't actually have a living frog in front of you. And so um, what does it mean to really... Um, you know, to encounter the living God, right? Mm -hmm. Who is speaking through these scriptures um, mm -hmm. to point us to this, what it means to truly love God and love our neighbor, mm -hmm. to seek justice, you know, to mm -hmm. love mercy, to walk humbly. And I think that um, that invitation is really powerful in terms of, mm -hmm. again, turning us away from that kind of moralizing wep weapon an ideological tool that we try to make the Bible into, right? Yeah. Um, but mm -hmm. like you're encouraging us to do to, uh, um, find the thread of wisdom that runs all the way through it, right? Um, and, and how God is speaking today. Drew, that, I mean, what's so incredible about, I mean, this is a, like people getting their free upgrade right here, right? Like he's he, a super size. We haven't even got to the text that Tamise is actually going to open up, but I'm so glad we're spending time in Second Timothy. Um, because in terms of wisdom as well, um, that's that's the like verse prior where it's like, since we would say here in Australia, since you're in nappies, that's Paul's response to Timothy. Like since you're in diapers, I guess you'd say in the US, mm -hmm. um, like you have known the Holy Scriptures yes. that can make you wise mm -hmm. unto liberation or deliverance or salvation mm -hmm. through Messiah Jesus. Mm -hmm. The scriptures that Timothy is known from a little one that we've just been talking about our own experience, it can make you wise, can <laughs> like it may, may. it could <laughs> like <laughs> will, will you let it um as to what deliverance or liberation or salvation looks like in a messiah mm -hmm. that looks like jesus 
-hmm. And it's just those things, like it's such a concise way of putting it before you get to all scripture, the God breathing type. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, But it's such a concise way of going, here's where it's supposed to go. Be wise as to what liberation in Jesus looks like. And so many people don't ever get there. Mm. Yeah. So to me, uh, we'd love for you to uh, walk us through this Luke passage and um, uh, maybe experience, hopefully together, some of this God-breathed scripture, right? Um, So you want to walk us in and we can have a conversation around the text you chose. Yeah, so I like one of the passages there, like in 21, where this uh, prodigal comes back and says, you know, I'm not worthy to be your son or whatever. Um, That struck me, has been striking me recently that like my journey with white Jesus was actually, I was the younger brother. I was in like cahoots with white Jesus and like coming back to me was leaving that toxicity. Um, And so have this like older brother who cannot enter in like he won't even come in to the party right and there's this whole idea that's going on about there's this motif of like feasting around someone getting free someone coming to themselves coming back to god and it says bring the fat and calf kill it let's have a feast let's celebrate uh for this son of mine was dead and is now alive again bruh when i heard that from the context of like why jesus needs to go that i was dead and now i'm alive like it completely like this whole passage like shifted for me and then in my experience it says that the the older brother was in the field he comes near the house, he hears music and dancing, and he he calls the servant and asks him what's going on. Like, so mm. there's so much disconnect happening in this passage that mm. makes you like wonder why. Like he never even like leaves this space. Now you get to the end, right? He he won't enter in, he's he's not partying. And he says, you know, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders yet. You never even gave me a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. And I, I'm reading this passage now, like, like, but he didn't ask either, right? Like, because clearly his brother, like, asked for something, gets it, and there's this radical um, calmness to God, that even if I give this kid his inheritance and he squanders it, I'm here, I'm waiting, right? And then there's this other brother who won't ask for anything. Um, He's been slaving. And I'm wondering like, what, what is going on? There's something going on in his imagination about the father. And the father goes like, okay, well, you're always with me. And, you know, obviously this is a parent, but he goes, you know, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. So there's just this idea of like, what is this, this sort of like disconnect? And I think part of it is um, how frustrating it is when you see someone walking in freedom and walking with this almost like frustrating confidence in the love and the acceptance of God. And it causes you to not only like distance yourself from it, but begin to like complain um, about all that you've done instead of going like, I want to be a part of the party. Like, wait a minute, I don't have to relate to you like this. Like, wait a minute. And it's just like, 
the, the thing that kills me about this and, and the reason I've been chewing on it is because you don't know what he does. Like, we don't know how he responds. And again, that's a G move of Jesus to be like, that's so right. what y'all gonna do? Like, it's <laughs> <laughs> a story, not what y'all gonna do, right? And I love that because it's like, I mean, obviously in context, it's he's talking about, you know, the leader, he's talking to the leadership of Israel and all those people. But it's like, I, I'm thinking about this in terms of like, for me, white Jesus was me being gone um mm. and then never heard that story before i i had heard that like um because i mean they're having this party and my guess is the the liquor is good out there and also at the party so they always made it sound like you know you're gonna go out and you're gonna go to all these parties and you're gonna be all secular and in the world but i don't think that's what's happening like um <laughs> i think what's happening is that like there is this level of enjoyment that this this younger son doesn't realize can be had in the house right because they they're having a party and so to me it's kind of like there's a frustration happening there's all kinds of disconnect around the nature of god and it's been making me think about uh, again about how scripture how we can take our thoughts about god can be and they can be so bound um and they're harmful to us and end up being harmful to other people and it's like what's happening he's like i don't even care anymore i've i've got glimpses of the fact that like my father might be good my father might be kind and so he's like even the servants eat like i'm going home right and so even the the idea that he's gotten these glimpses i feel like i'm reading this passage as kind of a, a like a how would you say like a it's explaining to me what happened for me that I was given this narrative about Jesus and then I, I go out and I'm doing all of these things. And by the end of it, I'm broke down and tired. I can't breathe. The Bible can't breathe. The earth can't mm. breathe. I mean, like, wow. it's just, you know, and so I'm, I have to go back. I can't breathe. <laughs> so I'm like, but I've got these glimpses and I remember being young and I remember thinking this man I'm reading about is so kind. I remember reading about him and being young enough to just be able to be like, this guy's nice. <laughs> he's kind and he's good to people. And it seems like he doesn't like A, B, and C. And it was so simple. And as soon as I met why Jesus became something else. Um, and it, and I'm like kind of wrestling with this this younger brother thing because I'm kind of like, I think Jesus leaves it open on purpose. And, and I think mm -hmm. even the way that it was characterized to me before, it was like, well, that horrible older brother, it's, that's not what's happening. Like Jesus is really like giving this invitation to like feast. And this brother is like acting more like a bouncer <laughs> than a guest at a feast, right? Like, Ooh. so how am I, how am I taking the scriptures literally enough to let them breathe so I can create space at these tables. And like, I'm hoping that, I'm hoping that some of my work even kind of causes older brothers to come in and party. Like, Beautiful. because that's what you do at a feast. You eat, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. These are just random thoughts I've been having about the passage as I've been chewing on it. Not random at all. That's That's really powerful. I mean, especially in terms of just thinking about, I mean, yeah, that's it's powerful to think about this as a way of really inviting us to reckon with how we have perceived God, how his he is his the character of God has been distorted 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes we walk away and yet, I mean, I loved how you said it, the, but you had these glimpses, right, mm-hmm. of this Jesus, right, um, that drew you back just enough, right, that you knew um, you could come back. And I think that's really powerful to think about that. And, and the way that, I mean, it's interesting. Um, I just recently heard um, this passage, uh, Dr. Harold Dean Trillier, he was, happened to be yeah. coming through Harrisburg. Um, as I got to catch up with him and he was speaking. And one thing that he mentioned um, with this passage, which I was like, oh, I don't know if I've really heard anybody really mention this, but like we put so much emphasis on the son, um, the younger son kind of going off and squandering his stuff. Mm -hmm. But he mentioned that, you know, that there's a famine, right? And so there's some choices that he's making, but there's also something much bigger that's going on all around him also that's impacting um, him losing everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's also fascinating to think about just the complexity of, of him as he's, maybe you could say, taking advantage of his father, but also um, hits some hardships, right? And that's so right. his returning back in humility um, with these glimpses, I'm going to hold on to that, yeah. um, of the goodness of his father, I think, is really um, a powerful image. And I think mm-hmm. it can resonate, I think, for a lot of folks who have experienced toxic Christianity and diseased, mangled, domesticated mm-hmm. Jesus, right? Whitened Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, that even in those moments, I think folks have, I mean, I think that, so I'm right now halfway through or not more than halfway through this African-American theology class with my students, mostly white evangelical conservatives, right? They, they got, they did, Cones got to the oppressed. They just finished um, right. Kelly Brown Douglas's Resurrection Hope. You know, what I mean, like, mm. yeah. And so they're loving it. And you know, and, and and I think it is. They've always. It's like they've been waiting for this moment, yes. right? Um, they've been waiting for this moment because they've gotten these glimpses and it knew that Jesus was better than the way that it had been told um, yeah. in their churches for so long. And so it's just like it's almost like this liberative experience of just, there's so much more, it's so much more expansive. There's so much surplus to the goodness mm-hmm. of God. Right. And I think mm. that that's kind of, at least if, if I'm hearing you right, that's some of what you're inviting us to kind of get from this text and this story. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I like, you can't fit a feast into a to-go bag. Right. And like, that's what's happening. Like you, <laughs> you know, he's going out and squandering this inheritance. Well, the inheritance is the generosity of the father right like that's Uh the inheritance so it's kind of like you go out and you squander that and he's kind of like these glimpses are kind of pulling him back and and he's right like he's like yeah we're gonna have a party kill the fattened calf like and it's so much the crumbs that we get when we follow white jesus it's just it's it it you can't sustain it. It's it's like a famine, <laughs> like right? Like you you can't live off of it. Makes you angry and bitter. You know, like I mean, it just really when I think about this in terms of like feasting and and, and white Jesus and stuff, it's been hitting me different. It's hitting mm. real different these days. Um, so yeah, I hear you on that. <laughs> I hear you on that. I, I love how you've um, created this like um, reflection or or mirrored. Um, or, or just notice that it's in the text that there's this um, uh, waste of extravagant living at the start mm-hmm. of the narrative, and then there's this extravagant party at the end. 
that mm-hmm. um, it, it's, it's not a prudish kind of like, um, uh, like dry crackers and like, but this is really is a feast that's happening. Yeah. And it's got me thinking, um, and Drew, I love what you're saying about the, um, the drought as well, because I've never thought about this in the context of like a ecological crisis um, mm-hmm. causing um, uh, one's treatment of loved ones or community to to come home to roost in such a way that like because of that context and the economic or social context it creates it having to face this way of living that's that's really profound but to me you saying um that kind of mirroring for the first time uh, I mean I've never preached this before in terms of this text but my goodness it's there like when um the the son says um give me my share which is a way Mm -hmm. of saying you're dead to me I mm-hmm. wish you were dead mm-hmm. it that too is mirrored in the end but it's reversed like it, it's now through resur- my, my son was dead and is now alive mm-hmm. so this the son that wanted the death of the father the father is now celebrating that in itself was death and mm-hmm. um, what it is to think that um uh your parent is awful is to be trapped not being able to see who this parental figure is Mm -hmm. and to come out of that is to come out of death into life out of lostness into being found and what it is to go um from uh white jesus versus historical jesus or um uh jesus of white supremacy versus jesus of the gospels Mm -hmm. is a similar experience of um what it is to go from death to life from lostness to found and suddenly the gospel is actually good news Mm -hmm. for everyone because white supremacy is bad news for white people as well it's captivity for white people as well yeah I mean you can't even I can't imagine there being some sort of like (laughs) this construct this construct that now you've created, that now all of these people have to live up to, all these people have to live into, and it, it does, it really robs, I think, white people of like exploring. It, it feels older brotherish to me. It's like, it's like, mm. it robs, it, sh- it, it shrinks. Uh, whiteness is, is it's, um, it's suffocating. It, 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 you cannot, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it like, it suffocates the Bible. It suffocates people like, and it doesn't matter who you are. And I feel like I'm, I feel like even with like, sort of this, it's, it's weird to say, but like, I feel like for me, the death of, of white Jesus for me has resurrected me, has resurrected Mm. scripture, um has resurrected the the like the way that I look at the world and it's like funny Drew that you brought up um Kelly that book because like her whole like you know resurrection contagion right and um just kind of reframing the way that I think about all of these things um and it kind of sits here in this book so my daughter I, I like it made me think of this because my daughter's book is called Sparkle Boy and it's about a brother and a sister and the brothers really it says he likes shiny things and he wants to wear shiny it's Harlem's like favorite book and mm-hmm. um and he wants to wear these shiny things and his sister keeps telling him like you can't wear those things these are not things that you can wear the parents in the story are kind of like well if this is what Casey wants to wear then he can wear it and the whole story is this process of this sister um 
being a little bit uncomfortable with the the like her younger brother like wanting to wear sparkly things and in the end she like comes in and like protects and advocates for him and so it's like this really funny story because I when I was reading it and hearing some of the comments of the little girl I was like this is that tension um that I see in that story where it's like I don't what happens if I fully enter in and I think most people who are like on the older brother vibe are afraid of what happens if they enter in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for some reason, the sparkle, I'm like, this is the book. Y'all have to get it. It's called Sparkle Boy. You can't see it because it's whatever, but it's called Sparkle Boy. Yeah, <laughs> and cool. it's really good. Um, I, I love it. So I, I've been thinking about that and I've been thinking about the hope of God. And the, like one other thing, um, Jared, when you were talking that popped in my mind was the idea that the parent in the story is unfazed <laughs> even by the person wanting them dead. Right. So it's like, mm. even by the brother wanting or the, the uh, younger brother wanting the parent dead, that don't mean the parent going to die. <laughs> it doesn't mean, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, yeah. if I'm reading it in that way, it's like, there is this really radical calmness about God that like, I'm gonna sit on this porch here and I'm away. And as soon as I see, I'm running. Mm. But in like, son, you know, everything I have is yours. There is this like, you know, it is, it's a kind of swag that I think the Godhead possesses of just this like <laughs> radical calmness and radical, like um, Naya and I were talking about this the other day about being fearless about our goodness, right? Mm. And like, there's this way in which like, I see that in the way that the, this father is trying to party. Um, he's trying to to serve these these boys or you know sons or whatever. And at the end of the day, though, like nothing about that father in that story changes. What changes is the people's perspective around. Like, yeah. and I just, I so love good. that because it felt so like good. to me like it's a tethering that I see. I'm starting to see this really interesting tethering um, in the story that I didn't pick up on before. Um, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. As you were talking, it made me, reminded me of, um, so all my kids, I have a little bit different way that I do, some overlapping, but some different things I do for bedtime. But with mm-hmm. my youngest, um, I always say to him, you know, there's nothing that you can do to stop me from loving you like nothing and he'll mm-hmm. joke around you know well what if I fart in your face or anything you know, say, nope. yeah. he's that he's that one that he'll go there but I say nope that won't stop me from love you I like I won't like it but I'll still love you and all and then then I'll ask him you know do you know how much I love you then he'll do this whole thing of like his arms you know going beyond where he can reach and stuff like that yeah. I'm like yes but more than that right and anyway but it's just you know wanting to and that is me trying to communicate to him as much as in my finite capacity that's right the kind of love that we experience from god right mm-hmm. um and that for him to know that both um you know god loves him infinitely and also that i'm trying to love him in that same capacity right yeah. um, to the extent that i'm able to and so um i think that the swag the the unfazedness of god um, in his complete generosity and love is really mm-hmm. powerful. And then to see, which you've helped me to see um, in more stark contrast, the way in which this, oh, it, it's always been interesting because it's always, 
the way I've always heard it is the older son is the one that that was that has all stayed in right but really it's no the and the older son is the one that's distanced at the end of the story and we're yeah. gonna you can figure out where he's gonna mm -hmm. go and so i think that's really powerful um to Drew, see that it, distance yeah th there's perception problems with both children yes. and th right. this is a brilliant sort right. of like that it's it's both directions but that but i i just didn't see it mirrored that way uh -huh. quite so powerfully yeah. Um, I mean, I did, but not quite. I don't know. I think your language to me is really powerful in bringing out mm -hmm. just um, the way that they parallel in a different kind of way than more than just maybe some of what I have heard emphasized in this text and in yeah. previous readings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, th this is a brilliance of parables, though. Like they, these. Yeah form of guerrilla storytelling that Jesus is able to open up over and over again. The fact that we're like, it is um, much like a dream. It works on so many different layers. You can return to it over and over again. And this is a breathing that you were talking about to me, mm -hmm. that the text wants to breathe in us and through us mm -hmm. if we spend time with it. And the sad thing about a quote unquote literal reading instead mm -hmm. of like, uh, reading it as like divine literature mm -hmm. it, is that we end at this is what the text means when the mm -hmm. text has different right. things to say with us like wh which son are we acting out of today which mm -hmm. way don't we see god yeah. uh, which, which kind of um are we sticking around um in the place that um uh is uh, our house by inheritance but we're trapped there because mm -hmm. we we see um, God wrong or, or have we nicked off and gone elsewhere because we think the only parties um, mm -hmm. that are exuberant happen elsewhere because we haven't learned to party mm -hmm. at home maybe because yeah. we've been hanging out with the older brother he's no fun but yeah, like the, um, it, I, I love that it works on these different levels continually mm -hmm. I, I love it because it is the it's the the living and breathing word and it feels like after all of this time, it still speaks. And I, I, I'm i like, I'm just fascinated with the way, especially like Jesus's parables are like, they will hit you one day this way. And then even like five years later, you read the same joint, it's the same words. Mm. And it's hitting you completely. Like, I don't know another text like that. Right. Like a text that follows you and stays with you and moves and like morphs. And, you know, it, this text is alive. And I, I'm really I'm really hoping that there is some sort of way. And I don't know, Drew, because you're working with young folks, too. So, like, if, is there a way for a way forward in terms of. um Like I said, I think using even using the word Bible has some connotations connotations at this point right um but like how can i um it's almost like you know they're getting these glimpses of truth reality wisdom out here and it's almost like wanting them wanting them to come to like the i don't know why i keep thinking of the tesseract <laughs> but like to this like source right yeah. this orb where it's like bruh you think that kendrick was like 
come over here. Let me talk to you about this whole thing in Ecclesiastes on this one. Like, and it's almost like, oh my gosh. And now they have like a never ending source, right? And that's essentially this feast in a bag, right? God's going like, hey, I'm a fountain that doesn't run dry. <laughs> like, like there is this um, core where wisdom and light and truth and reality is emanating. And not only that, right? Like these people actually tell us that this whole thing, like that this guy from Nazareth who chose to be a, a part of a, a, a press class of people to experience what that was like, that that person is claiming to be the wisdom of God. Mm -hmm. So like the bars that you hear from like Kendrick, I bet mm -hmm. you, you could find it in him, right? Like, and, and to me, that's been so exciting because it has, it's like not even religious. It's like, um, and, and that's what I mean. Like the, the Bible, <laughs> I don't know. The Bible to me is played out. I think we need to start talking about scripture and talking about inspired word. Like we have to change the language around it because there's way too much happening in the world. It, there's way too much happening for there to not be some sort of source, some sort of like never ending, like fountain of beauty and truth and wisdom like we need that um and and we draw on that and we let it speak through the generations and it, it, to me it feels like my job my my hope right now is to be able to really do that and to do it well um because i i want harlem to have her own spin on luke 15 in 20 years mm. and she actually could like that's mm -hmm. the crazy part mm -hmm. <laughs> like, um, and so I, I don't know. I think that I, I mean, that's why I've been telling people, I, I mean, uh, yeah, dump white Jesus, but I'm super Christian though. You're not dumping white Jesus for nobody. You're dumping right. it for Jesus. You're right like, about that. <laughs> like, <laughs> Phantom. You, you know, uh, as you're saying that, um, I'm just looking at a note in my margin here that I don't remember, but um, so see where um, it talks about the older son was in the field. He came near the house, heard music and dancing. So yeah. the, the music and, and dancing there, the, the Greek can be rendered um, and the old, um, um, the old Syriac, um, the voice of singing and symphonia is what it has in the old Syriac. Um, Bible, um, uh, but the different ways that that the word there is actually voices together. It's the sound mm -hmm. of um, at first home project we used to have these Friday night parties, and because there were so many Persian refugees um, that mm -hmm. lived with me, meant that even more Persian refugees were coming. And so we had Congolese refugees and Persian um, refugees. So when you get Iranian and Congolese people together, um, the drumming and the singing without any accompanying music is just incredible. And that's the sense of what's actually like the word that's being used here. Mm. It's, it's the sound of voices and dancing. I love mm. the sound of dancing, mm -hmm. like the sound. Of, and when you're talking about like the sound of these voices and what's Harlem's voice and what's her voice, <laughs> it's a sense of this is about voices together. There's something about this yeah. party that we're invited to that is the sound of voices together and the sound of dancing. And mm -hmm. so often we think we've been invited um, to a text where it's one mm -hmm. person reading. 
instead mm -hmm. of voices together singing and the sound of dancing. And I think if we can capture that, maybe that's some of the energy that the older brother is actually like, I don't like this because it's the unsafeness of a party that is actually ex as exuberant as the squandering that was going on elsewhere. And, and so what is it to listen to? I mean, uh, like as your tradition um, coming out of your part of the world says to lift every voice, right? Like um, that, that's a gift in a hermeneutic in itself, what it is to lift mm -hmm. every voice as we, mm -hmm. and Drew, I think that's what weekly we try and do with diverse people within verses, read the scriptures with people in ways that, you know, we can hear the sound of people's dancing and singing. Mm. That's right. Mm. That's good. Selah. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Oh my gosh. I didn't I, know I, that, Drew. I didn't know that that's what that meant. So now I'm on a whole nother joint in my head <laughs> for a later time. <laughs> wow. I'm going to be the um, ungodly one and, and turn our conversation a little bit. But I know because you mentioned that you're a hip hop head. So I, I am. So I got to know, like, who are some of your favorite artists? Um, are you <laughs> Have you been following? I don't know if you were, you're a Nas fan. Yeah, but this cat yeah, just drops his like what yeah. fourth in like two years. <laughs> like he just, yeah, wow. he did them all with like Hit Boy because they were all in the house. I mean, COVID. Right. So right. Yeah, I mean Nas, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I'm more of a. It's frustrating because I'm I um I'm kind of I think some people think I'm boring because I'm like completely East Coast. I mean, of course you like Kendrick, but like I'm a lyricist person. I like lyrics yeah. mm, and like um. Yes. So like appreciate trap, I appreciate West Coast, but like for me, it's you know, it's Hove, it's Nas, it's Jadakiss, it's you know, bars. Yeah, yeah <laughs> give me some bars. bars. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, so it sounds I mean like I think, for both of you, it's pretty East Coast. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, grimy, gully, like yeah. beats with just like stories that make you feel like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm in the car right now, riding around the block right now with these people and hearing their <laughs> stories. Like there's something to it uh, for me that's just just powerful. The wordplay is just, I love it. Yeah. I still say Illmatic is probably the greatest album oh, of yeah. all time. I even think that Illmatic is better than Reasonable Doubt. And that could get oh, me yeah. in trouble. I agree. I love oh, I absolutely agree. Wow. So, <laughs> Illmatic, yes. I mean, top album, I think. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I think what I like about hip hop is that it's like the closest thing I see to like this Genesis account where something comes out of nothing mm. um, and it's beautiful and it's rich and it's diverse. And uh, I think for me, just the, I, the story around how hip hop came to be and how these people like kind of rise from the ashes, I think again, gets at some of that stuff that KBD is getting at, right? With this resurrection. But like, uh, yeah, I, I think that what hip hop does is remind me, it, it like grounds me um in a way that I'm I'm really I feel honored to come into these stories and nerd just a little bit but like these compilation albums that are coming out if you listen to them it really is hearts of fathers turning to children and children turning to fathers like hip-hop is modeling that for us mm -hmm. right now like Khaled puts you know older generation and younger generation on the same album and they just talk about life they talk about their stories and it's almost like 
this sort of conversation um, that's happening that we can get insight, like, in, and we can anticipate again where these strands of wisdom are and how to like <laughs> pull them towards this source. Not because like you must follow white Jesus in order to be saved. That's not what it is. It's mostly like this one doesn't run dry though. Like, like it's too crazy out here. Like the world is too crazy. People are too committed to hate for us to be, you know, putting feasts in these little like plastic containers and trying to go live in the world. Like, I think to me, it's just about sourcing, um, sourcing hope, I think, Mm. um, I think is why I'm so like, you know, it's a very odd thing to want to do is to try to like bring people towards specifically bring them towards the gospels and this, you know, um, but yeah, so I think, I think hip hop is, I'm trying, I'm recognizing <laughs> um, God in hip hop. I think it's inherently theological. Um, and I, I mean, I just love it. I love it so much. Well, yeah. Miss, did you ever get to listen to our episode with Elfresh the Lion, the Australian hip hop? So he's um, Sikh and he actually had Nas on one of his tracks, which is like huge for an Australian artist. So um, that's definitely worth checking out. Like that that was a great conversation, actually. Man, I will. There's there's an album called... um, Lord, I'm forgetting it now. Written Testimony by J Electronica. Hmm. That is like one of the most, that album right there is crazy. And he's um, he's Nation of Islam. Yeah. Um, just blows my mind. It blows my mind how people from the underside of a society could outsmart that very society using their own words, their own beats and figuring out how to make this record do something it's never done before right like and now all all their kids buy it (laughs) you know there's something so subversive about it um and again I think it does it reminds me of some of those things that I that I fell in love with um about Jesus just it's just so subversive and slick and funny and like witty like (laughs) I'm drawn to that kind of thing so and it's I mean there is I mean so when you said that about and their kids buy it because it made me think I was like that's kind of like when the, our enslaved ancestors were telling Briar Rabbit stories yes. and then later white folks were reading it to their kids, not even yes. thinking about mm. this. It's about y'all. We talk about y'all, right? Mm. And, and so in the same way, the Jesus stories, I mean, here's this, you know, first century Palestinian Jew living under Roman occupation and folks are in dominant culture, wealthy, powerful folks are reading it and not even understanding that the story is undermining their very way of life, right? Um, And inviting us into something, God's dream for all of us in a whole new radical liberative direction. And so I think um, there are some threads there that are really powerful, I think, um, for folks looking at it from the underside. Wow. Maybe we need more hip hop artists invited on as guests, Drew. Oh my gosh. You know you should get you should get Oswin Benjamin. Oh my God! Go mm. Google him. Google his freestyle on Sway in the Morning. These people are out here doing it. They out here doing it. Anyway, sorry, I can yes. nerd out about it. So yeah, yeah. Well, you know who well, I'm? I I've never met him before, but I I feel like I'm kind of like two to three degrees from Black Thought because one of my best friends growing up. Yeah. Um, so I'll even, well, he's, he's, um, 
he's a nephew of James Poyser. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the keyboardists. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And of course, you know, Black Thought. So, so I, I feel like I'm in reach, you know, I'm close. Yeah. I've been in a room with James Poyser before, but I've yeah. not met Black Thought yet. So, but maybe I'll have to work on that. Well, I mean, may, maybe we leave this for the, um, the, the Q&A afterwards, because I know there's a whole bunch of people who are ready to yeah. um, chat with Tamise. But I wonder, you, you know that Common goes to Trinity United Church of Christ. Right. No, I didn't maybe know we, Maybe we need to be asking, uh, you know, let's, let's go all the way to the top. Help us out. What, what's most deaf doing at the moment? Like, <laughs> like I mean, that would be incredible. You know, it, maybe we need to, you know, we do not have because we do not ask. Maybe we should just go for it some. So stay tuned, inverse listeners. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that would be so <laughs> me, this has been a delight. We, we love you dearly. Love you guys, too. Thanks for having me. Mm. And, uh, Drew, I think we're going to have to get more of our community in the rotation of um, inverse interviews. That, that will be... <laughs> I can think of 10 right now. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> shout out to family brunch well friends um maybe we'll open it up now for um some q a the inverse podcast is proudly supported by you the listener and if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse 